This morning's message started out being called According to Promise. I changed the message title last night to He Speaks Promise. Where did this message come from? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I had two days off at work, and it wasn't my weekend to minister. So I thought, I am just going to relax and seek the Lord for myself. You see, during the week that I minister, I'm seeking the Lord for you. Lord, what do you want to say? What do they need? What word do you want them to impart to them? Do you feel that pressure to hear the Lord accurately and to bring fresh bread for the people? Since it wasn't my week, I thought, oh, I'll just rest. I'll just listen to you know, grace ministers. I'll spend time in the word. Ah. And as I was doing that, about a day and a half into it, I said, okay, Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> this sounds an awful lot like a prophetic word you gave in church, specifically to Sarah. The Lord really set me up for this. You see, he, he had a specific word for Sarah. And then the next week, the Lord said, tell the people specific words that are given corporately or corporately available. We need to know that. Because a lot of times, the way the Lord wants to bring forth a word is very personal to a person. But it is personally available to everybody who's listening. That's why it's corporate. Okay? So I was like, this, what you're speaking to me sounds an awful lot like that, Lord. He goes, yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> You're so sneaky. Well, what did he say to her? I don't remember the whole thing. That's the thing about prophetic words. We do try to record them. That particular Sunday, it wasn't being recorded. But it was something like this. It was about believing that our heavenly daddy's love is great for us. That his goodness and his desire for us is to believe and to receive all that is in our inheritance. Our inheritance is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven in Christ Jesus. It is being able to bring heaven to earth. He wants us to know that he doesn't want us in heaven. Isn't that shocking? He doesn't want you in heaven. He wants heaven to come to you. He wants us to bring heaven to this earth. That's the plan. Yes, when we're finished, we get to go to heaven. But he wants us to have heaven now. And that was really the essence of that particular word. Why does the Lord give us words like this? To activate our faith. To encourage us to activate our own faith. To provoke us to believe more of the truth of the good news of our Heavenly Father's absolutely free loving kindness. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. If you listen to Christian television, a large majority of it will tell you you are saved by faith. And they talk about, you know, your faith saving you. Your faith can't save you. Your faith can only appropriate what has already been accomplished. Our salvation was accomplished before we ever received it. But our faith accessed that which is available. It is by grace we are saved. So why does he want us to access our faith, to activate our faith? Well, Romans 5.17 says this. For if, because of one man's trespass, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking about Adam, for if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life 
through the one man, Jesus Christ. He wants us to reign. You can't reign without righteousness. Righteousness is the requirement. That is what fits us for reigning. What I really like about this particular scripture is the word receive is the Greek word lambano, which means to take. So many believers today are very passive. They ask God for stuff. God, you know, please do such and such. Please interfere in this situation. Please take care of this. But they're not taking it. They're waiting for the answer to fall on them. Because we have this concept that receiving is very passive, like rain. If I step into the rain, it just falls on me. <laughs> Grace will fall on you. <laughs> Amen. Grace rains on you. But we have to access what's available through us. We have to take it by faith. God, as our good daddy, wants us to have the desires of our hearts. He wants us to apprehend our complete inheritance in Christ. And that includes walking in and walking out all that Jesus paid for. Walking in the oneness with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, believing that the righteousness of God is truly my righteousness. Because if I believe that, then I can rule and reign in this life. And I can apprehend all that the kingdom of heaven has available. It's all been purchased by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all available for the taking. Receiving isn't passive. Receiving is aggressive. And God tells us that. There are different Greek words for the word receive. Some of them are very passive. But whenever it comes to promises, whenever it comes to God's will for us, whenever it comes to having an answer to a prayer, he says, you have to take it. You have to know that it's for you, and you have to possess it for yourself. Now, how do we bring these realities of the kingdom into and through our lives? Through faith. Faith is very simply believing what God says. It can't get any simpler than that. You would think we, as believers, hint, hint, <laughs> as believers, we would be really good at believing, but sometimes we're not. But God tells us in his word, really, that faith is always for grace. Now, years ago, in the Word of Faith movement, and I'm very thankful for the Word of Faith movement, by the way, Without them, I never would have realized that you could have anything <laughs> on purpose. Basically, in the little holiness church I went to, you threw up a whole bunch of prayers and you hoped something good came back. <laughs> it was really hit and miss. They didn't teach you to actually believe. It was always, well, you never know what God wants. You never know. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. It's right here. He wrote it down so we would know what he wants and what he wants for us. So faith is always for grace. You know why? Grace is absolutely free. Absolutely free. No strings attached, no fine print, no sneaky contracts debiting your credit card next month. <laughs> None of that. Absolutely free. Now how easy is it to believe we're absolutely free? If I had a, a $100 giveaway booth right here, and it said, real $100 bills, absolutely free. And there's somebody there with lots of money, $100 bills. You'd ask questions, wouldn't you? Well, how free is it? And how many can you get? And how often can I come and visit? <laughs> we would start asking some very important questions. Because if it's really free, really free, 
no strings attached, who's going to take advantage of it? Everybody. Why? Because it's free. Grace is that great. It is so awesome that his absolutely free loving kindness is available to anyone who will believe. If you don't believe my $100 bills are real, you won't partake. If you believe there's a string attached, sometimes it's even, well, I'll feel guilty if I take that. I don't deserve the $100 bill. <laughs> okay, and so we don't partake. All these rules and regulations get in our heads about being worthy. Okay, but God says his grace is absolutely free. So he put everything that's available, everything in the kingdom, in Jesus Christ, the grace man. He says everything that he bought and paid for is absolutely free. There's only one thing you got to do. You got to believe it. And then you got to take it for yourself. Amen? Amen. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Some translations say, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In the actual Greek, the word comes is not there. I always thought, where does faith come from? If I'm trying to activate my faith, does it come from heaven? <laughs> where does it come from somewhere? Where is it coming from? If I, shouldn't I know this so I can look for it? <laughs> well, I like to change that word since it's not even there in the Greek. So how I can best understand it. Activate. So faith is activated from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. The Greek word there for the word word is rhema. It's a spoken word. Now that makes a huge difference. Okay? <laughs> Because it doesn't say faith comes by having heard the word. It comes by actively hearing. By actively hearing the word, we activate the faith. It comes up in us. A lot of times you can actually feel when your faith is activated. You'll sense it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's you have faith by faith. <laughs> but it's activated by the spoken word. And that's exactly what it means. It also says, this faith is not just any faith. It is the faith of the Son of God. Now, how, how did Jesus use his faith? Perfectly. <laughs> Perfectly. What did he do with his faith? He walked on water. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He cleansed the lepers. All of this was done by faith. But he says something very key. I only do what I see my father do and hear what my father says. So there is this process of hearing. Jesus was a man, 100% man. Was he God? Yes. But the word tells us he left all of his God-given abilities in heaven. He came to be like us so that we could be like him. He walked as a man filled with the spirit of God. He didn't have any special advantage over us. That wouldn't be fair. For him to say, walk as I walk, and then not give us the equipment to do it. He says, we can walk as he walked. We can live as he lived. We can use our faith the same way he did, because it's the same exact faith. Galatians 2.20 says this. This is Paul speaking. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by the faith, the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The faith. A lot of times, translators will add what you call a definite article, the, when it isn't actually there, just because of the way we speak English. But this the is there. This is the faith, the one and only faith of the Son of God. He makes this whole thing very personal and all about grace. He says, who loved me and gave himself for me. Whenever you find grace, you're going to find faith. And that's what it was with the Apostle Paul. He understood that this magnificent grace enabled him, activated his faith, the faith that the Lord had given him, the very faith of God. Faith also takes the word of God personally, just like he did. He does, of course, go on to make it plural for everyone. But he made this very definitely, I, personally, my Jesus, died for me, me. So often, believers will generalize. Yes, Jesus died for everybody. Did he? Well, of course he did. But until it's personal for you, until you say, no, he died for my sins. I'm taking the gift that he gave. I'm taking it. I received this wonderful gift. It doesn't become powerful and effective. There are lots of people in churches who have heard that the good news that Jesus died for them, but they've never understood that simply believing that he is is not enough. It has to become personal. I have to take him for myself. So what does this grace provide? The Apostle Paul again says, Romans 8.32, speaking of God the Father, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, there's a so-called $100 booth in heaven. Only it's much better than that. It's called the throne of grace. <laughs> and everything there is free. Whatever you have need of, he says, because I have already given everything you need in my son. You receive my son, you get it all. It all becomes available to you. When he sees that we are not activating all things, he'll speak a word, a scripture, and a promise to activate our faith. It is important, this spoken word concept, that we hear the word of God, whether it's a scripture or just a personal word for us, that we understand that there is power in his word. Literally, power in his word. John 6, 63 says this. It is Jesus speaking. It is the spirit that quickeneth, make alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. But the words I speak unto you, they are spirit. They are life. That's how important it is to receive a word, not just to hear a word, but to truly listen and take it in and says, this is for me. How many of you have ever received a rhema and you knew it was God speaking directly to you? One of my favorite ones is the one that my daughter and I both got the same day on a Sunday morning. We were in a church service. It was probably early summer. And the minister was ministering on grace, actually. He used a scripture that you only normally hear at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Now, that had nothing to do with the main body of his message. But the Holy Spirit quickened it. Just like it said in the scripture, he quickens, he makes it alive. Suddenly I knew this was the promise for her. We get out of church and she says, God gave me a word. 
Let me guess what it is. <laughs> what he loves to do is he loves to confirm his word. You see, he doesn't want to just tell you. You might talk yourself out of it, especially if it's awesome and wonderful. <laughs> so he told me, and he told her, and we got together, and we said, yes, this is God. And in fact, she had a child born to her and a son given to her. God has a specific word. Now, is that out of context? Yes, but God doesn't care. <laughs> it's not, we're not talking doctrine here. We're talking personal word to me. Will God speak personally to you about something like that? That specifically? Yes. And his favorite way to do that is to use the word. Why? Because when we hear, what happens? Faith comes. When we know that we've heard the word of God, when he's confirmed it, and he says, this is my word, this is my promise, you can bet on it, you can take it to the bank, you can take it to the throne of grace, and make a demand, this is mine, and I'll not settle for anything less. That's the power of a word. That's the power of a promise. When a scripture becomes a promise, it becomes empowered. You see, how many promises are in here? Really, how many of them do you know? How many have you taken for yourself? Not enough. <laughs> how silly are we? <laughs> he says, when you read this, you can go looking for a word. It's that important to us, it's that, to our walk, that we can go looking for a word. What's your need? One of our uh, classmates in school, his name is Michael Clark, he had an issue with his foot, and they were talking amputation. And of course, the school was praying, and everyone's praying for him, and believing, and standing. And one evening, my husband goes, you know, I think I'm going to call him. Now, he doesn't have a cell phone, so calling him is not easy. <laughs> so he finally found out where he was in the hospital, and how to get a hold of him, and he was talking to him on the phone. While he's talking to him on the phone, the Holy Spirit starts talking to me. I just happened to be reading my Bible, and guess what? I came across a, a scripture on feet and not letting your feet go, Let, letting your feet slip away. And I was like, this is hysterical, God. <laughs> but you know what I knew? It was quickened. It was quickened. It was the right, and I had like 12 of them, all about your foot. And I was like, can God be specific? Yes. Does he want to be? Yes. Why? So it will activate your faith. Otherwise, we spend too much time hoping and wishing that God would do something. When we get a word, we know. What is faith? I know my God has said. I know my God has provided. I know my God is making a way. I know it. How do I know it? I've heard from him. I have the promise. When a scripture becomes a promise, it becomes empowered. The truth is, you can't believe a scripture you haven't heard. It's just impossible. <laughs> and in the absence of knowing the truth, our little brains like to make it up. So if you don't know what the truth is, you'll come up with something reasonable that may or may not be scripture. <laughs> so that's why it's so important for us to have a promise, to have a word for those things that we have need of. This is from the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and it's just the definition of a promise. How many of you know what a promise really is? I mean, we think we do, don't we? 
in a general sense, a declaration, this is a promise, a promise is a declaration, written or verbal, made by one person to another, which binds the person who made it, either in honor, conscience, or law, to do or to forbear, and that just means not do, to do or not do a certain act specified. I underlined that one. <laughs> we need to be specific. <laughs> A declaration which gives to the person to whom it is made a right to expect or to claim the performance or forbearance of the act. That's amazing! God says, when I give you a word, I give you a promise. He's saying, I bind myself to that word. I willingly put all my resources at your disposal to make sure that you can have what I've promised. But what do we have to do? Expect and claim. Expect and claim. The second one I like too. Now this is referring to a contract or a covenant. In law, a declaration, a promise, is a declaration, again, verbal, something we hear, or something written. It's either one. It's logos and it's rhema, written or verbal, made by one person to another for a good or valuable consideration. There's no bad stuff in here. <laughs> we don't make promises for bad stuff. <laughs> God doesn't make promises for bad stuff. In the nature of a covenant by which the promiser, that would be God, binds himself. And as the case may be, his legal representatives to do or to forbear some act and gives the promisee, us, my husband asked me, is that a real word? <laughs> the promisee, a legal right, a legal right to what? Demand. To demand and enforce a fulfillment. Okay, who wants to run to the road of grace right now? <laughs> He says, all of my promises, you can bring them to me and expect, expect. He says, I bind myself to that word. How impressive is that? It's amazing. I, in my little brain, I just see the, a physical word like rhema, and Jesus just stuck to it, following that word wherever it goes, because he's going to make sure to watch over that word to perform it. He's not going to let one word fall to the ground. Amen? We are not making a demand on God, though. No, that would be Because it says the word demand. Sometimes we think people are going, come on, God. You have to do this. No, that's not what it means. God doesn't answer temper tantrums. That's not what it means to make a demand. What it means is to write a check. But before I get to that, I want to tell you another story. If we know that this is the truth of God's word, that all of his words are a promise, all of them, and we can make demands on those promises, we can rest assured that power behind that promise is there. We can do amazing things. One of the stories we heard at our graduation was this couple went to Ecuador, and Cares Bible College is going to probably open a, a Bible college there. And while these couple was in front of the hotel, there was this loud noise and screaming and dogs barking and something very bad had happened and they ran to see what it was. 
And behind the building, there's this woman on her hands and knees screaming and crying. And there's a man holding a baby. And the baby's dead. The baby had fallen. Had fallen on his head and had died. And the mother, of course, is beside herself. But there was a whole bunch of Bible college students there. And they ran over to that baby. And the first thing they did was, oh, God, please. Oh, God, please. How many times is that our response when something bad happens? Oh, God, please. He says, no. You have power and authority. I have given you my promises. I have given you my word. You have power. You can access the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and all of its power and glory. It's yours for the taking. All you have to do is believe that I'm this good, that I'm this reliable. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit must have spoken to her because suddenly she stopped. And they laid hands on the baby and they said, baby, blink your eyes. Baby blinked its eyes. And they prayed over that baby. And they commanded life to come back into that baby. And they commanded everything that was broken to be restored. And they, the ambulance came and took the baby away. They sent the baby home four hours later with absolutely nothing wrong. Why? Because someone had the audacity to believe that God is that good and that reliable and that powerful and that we as his legal representatives, hello, legal representatives, have the right power and authority to do the exact same things that Jesus did. We have the right to expect that when we lay hands on the sick, they do recover. That we can speak to that which has died and say, live in the name of Jesus. Receive the very resurrection life of Christ himself. We have the power to do that. How many of us are walking in that? Not me. I wish I was, but it's not. <laughs> Why? We need a promise. We need a promise. We need a, a thus saith the Lord for ourselves, for whatever situations. And we need to have some in our pockets. <laughs> so when something comes across our path, we can say, oh, I got a promise for this one. I know what one to apply. Holy Spirit knows exactly what promise to use, what to activate our faith. Amen? The Father not only promises, but confirms his promise. I love this about God. You see, you would think that God, who cannot lie, telling us something would be sufficient for us. But he knows that we are but dust. <laughs> he knows the frailty of our humanity. And he knows that we struggle with unbelief. There's this natural unbelief that happens to us. If you've ever had anything that hurts, <laughs> you know your body talks to you and sometimes very loudly and sometimes continuously. And so it's even though we believe in our spirit man, I believe the stripes of Jesus are enough. I believe I've received my healing, but it just hasn't manifested. He knows that the struggle to overcome that constant talking, we have to have a promise, a weapon to fight that unbelief. We can't just Tell unbelief to go away. It doesn't. <laughs> we have to replace it. This one minister, I really like him. His name is uh, Arthur Minchez. He said, God was talking to him about unbelief. Guys, he's like, why don't I see more stuff happening in my life, God? He says, because of your unbelief. He goes, are you kidding? I'm a faith preacher. How can I have unbelief? He says, you believe un all the time. He's like, what? Unhealthy, unprovided for, unprotected, unforgiven. Un. He says, you constantly believe un. 
So we have to change the un. And one of the best ways to make the unthinking and the unbelieving go away is a promise. A promise. When we know what we've heard from God in a particular situation, we know it's a specific word for us. We can make that un go away. Hebrews 6.13 says this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, surely, absolutely, positively, without a shadow of a doubt, I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is the final for confirmation. So when God desired to show even more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, the promise and the oath, the promise and the confirmation, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement Strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. He promises us and even swears an oath because he's trying to get us to rest assured. Rest assured that what we have been promised either is already accomplished or will be done according to his will. I heard a minister say this. You need to know what moment you're in when it comes to using your faith. Sometimes... He's going to want you to rest like a child. When the Lord told me that he had chosen Mark Testerman to be my husband, I said, what am I supposed to do? He said, nothing. This will be a work of my hand. I don't want you messing this up. (laughs) Sometimes he says, do nothing but believe. Other times, you have to use your promise as a weapon. Because there is a real enemy out there who wants to steal kill, and destroy. And if you don't have a promise, you don't have a weapon. And he'll run over you with unbelief, with fear, and with doubt. When you know that you know you've heard the word of God, nothing can move you. Sometimes you have to use your promise like a weapon. Sarah had to use that with that very same promise. When it came time for the children to be adopted, God is so good. He promised her too, but there was a sneaky third one in there. (laughs) God is a God of abundance. I will multiply you abundantly. God loves abundance. And so when it came time for the children to be adopted and the the, uh, birth parents to relinquish their rights, one of the birth parents wasn't going to show up. We're told he had been using drugs, which means his testimony would have been inadmissible. Her first response was like the lady in Ecuador. Oh, no! God! And then she said, wait a minute. Oh, no! (laughs) Oh, no, you don't, devil! You bring him back! Uh, No, I have a promise. You see, her faith kicked in. She'd been carrying that promise for five years. And when you carry a promise for that long, guess what? You're ready to activate something. (laughs) You're ready to make that demand. And sometimes you have to make that demand with the enemy of your soul to say, you will not You will not trespass into my life. You will not take what has been given to me by the Lord. I have all power and authority given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have sometimes got to get an attitude. So you need to know what moment you're in. 
Because if you're stomping and snorting and then you're supposed to be resting, <laughs> it's counteractive <laughs> to faith. <laughs> Second Corinthians says this, chapter 1, verse 20. For all of the promises of God in him are yes and in him are amen unto the glory of God by us. We know that in Christ, that's the point. The free $100 booth isn't anywhere else. It's only in Jesus. <laughs> the grace booth is only in Christ. If we know that we are in him, if we know that we are the righteousness of God, and that he wants us to rule and reign, for us to take dominion and reign in life, we can do that because of this wonderful blank check called Jesus. All, all of the promises. How many do you know? Which ones are yours? How many of you are activating them? If we want to win, we need to activate our promises. If we want to reign, we have to know what belongs to us, and we have to know it specifically. Get a word from the Lord. You're going to need it. One of the things that the Lord had said in this word to Sarah was basically, dream big. Now, when the Lord was ministering this to me, he's like, how about you? I said, well, that acorn didn't fall too far away from this one. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm not a big dreamer, Lord. <laughs> I've been more nuts and bolts, you know, the day-to-day -day getting through life kind of believing. Life has a way of making you do that. You believe for this little thing and this little thing and this little thing, <laughs> the day-to-day -day stuff. See, he said, but if, if I gave you a blank check, what would be on it? And at first I was like, Lord, you know I don't like this question. My husband used to always pray, Lord, give her the desires of her heart. And then he would say to me, what are the desires of your heart? And I would say, I have no idea. <laughs> It, you see this specific word? <laughs> it matters that we're specific. It really matters. So he said to me, what does your heart really desire? What is really important to you? And of course, then you have to go and look in there. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't know, Lord. I mean, the normal things. Friends, family, church, okay. He goes, no, no. What makes you cry? I was like, oh, thanks, I gotta go there. <laughs> and the Lord instantly brought to my memory something that has happened to me over the years. Whenever anyone talks about miracles or ministers about miracles, teaches about miracles, it makes me weep. It makes me just weep. I didn't understand it. Is it because I don't, Lord? Is this what this is? <laughs> I don't operate in miracles? What is it? And then he had me do a little study. Remember? I need a word. Okay, you've now made me look in my heart and see what it is I really desire. My blank check would have to do with working miracles. You see, when someone comes in with oxygen, I want them to leave without it. Jesus says, it's possible. It's possible. And I want that. So... I looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 31, which says this. But covet earnestly the best gifts. Now this is something, see he sets me up all the time. Has been on my heart for a couple of weeks. Covet earnestly the best gifts. I'm like, okay, how do I do that? 
Okay, because to covet means to lust or intensely desire. Okay, does coveting it make it happen? <laughs> how do I covet the best gifts, and how do I get them working? And he doesn't actually tell us what the best gifts are. He lists all of them. So he says, but covet the best ones. Well, which ones are the best ones? There is a hint. The word covet earnestly means this, to have warmth of feeling for, to be zealous over, to be moved by. God said, does that sound like your heart? <laughs> it's like, yes, <laughs> very warm. <laughs> so he said, so your blank check would be the working of miracles. Yeah, it would. And you have a promise for it. Yeah, I do. I have a promise that says I can have this, that this is mine for believing. But what do I do with it? Whenever you have a check, you have to do something to the check to make it activate. What do you have to do to it? You've got to sign the back. You've got to take personal possession. Take. Take. Not receive. Not be passive. It's just going to fall on me one day. No. I have to take it. If I have a promise, I can make a demand. I can, just like a check makes a demand at your bank. No one's stomping their feet. They're just signing the back of the check. <laughs> signing the back of the check makes the demand. We take it personally. We make it our own. We also need to recognize that a check is equal to the real thing. Right? Yeah. A check for $25 is equal to $25 cash. So this promissory note is just as valid and real as the real thing. So it is with Christ. So it is with Christ. When we get that promise, when we have that rhema, when a logos becomes real, when it's quickened to our hearts, whatever, whatever we believe, we receive. We actually receive. It's ours. All we got to do is sign the back of the check. Take it. Take it by faith. But what the promise does is it activates the faith that you need to make it happen. Nothing in the world, nothing in the world makes our Heavenly Father happier than when we believe Him. You can work every day, all day, all of your life, and He will not be happy with you because of that. He's happy with us when we just believe him, that he is that good, that he binds himself to every promise, that we can have what he says we can have, that he wants us to rule and reign. When we really believe this, really believe it, we can activate it. We can activate it with those promises. Hebrews 10 and 23 says this, let us hold fast to our profession of faith without wavering. Sometimes there's a time gap by the time we get our check and the time we cash it. It's just as real, it's just as valid, but sometimes there's a, some orchestration going on in between. <laughs> there were five years between unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and ta-da, it's all done. But it was just as valid and just as real the day we got it. So my question for you this morning is, what's 
the deepest desire of your heart. If you looked in there and Jesus said, I have a blank check with your name on it. What would you put on the check? The truth is, you can have it. You can take it. You can receive it. The promise activates the faith. The faith takes. And then we rule and reign through Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.